Amen. That was uh, one of my favorite songs when I was growing up. I used to love that song. When I try to sing it, though, it gets so high in certain spots for me. It just was so difficult. And yet, boy, I love the message of that song, don't you? Boy, it did so well. She just did a fabulous job on that song. Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3. Again, we're in our Back to God series, and we're dealing with getting back to some things. Well, tonight we're going to talk about getting back to growing. Getting back to growing. Boy, growth in the Christian life. How important, essential is that? Second Peter chapter 3. We're going to begin there. Verse 9. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. We're going to read uh, through uh, verse 18 or the end of the chapter there. It says simply this, and first, uh, Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and and new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. And account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest as they do also the other scriptures under their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things therefore, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. Boy, in this particular passage, of course, we're reading about some times that are still in the future. And boy, I'll tell you what, he's trying to prepare the people of God. He's trying to ready them for those times, those, those difficult times and also those end times. And he's letting us know that if we're going to successfully navigate in this Christian life, then we're going to have to continue to grow, as he puts it, in grace. We need to continue to grow in our Christian life and in our Christian walk We need to grow in our Christian testimony. We need to grow in our knowledge and understanding of the Word of God as well as our relationship with Christ intimately and personally. Boy, we need that that growth in our life. If we fail to grow, then obviously we too can be shaken from our position. We can find ourselves also falling. We can see ourselves in the future not standing for the Lord Jesus Christ any longer. Look, if you would, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. 2 Peter chapter 1 this time, verse 5. The Bible says, And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge. Does this sound familiar? And to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. 
We see here again that God intends us to continue to add to our faith, continue to grow in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, continue to grow in our Christian experience and our Christian walk. It's so imperative and it's so essential and it's so necessary. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. Turn there if you can in your Bible. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. The Bible says, being confident of this very thing, that he, which hath begun a good work in you, will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. That God has begun a work in your life, and that that work is not complete till the very end. That God himself is working and moving in our lives. Sadly enough, in many cases, if we would be honest, God has to kind of prod us and God has to kind of move us. And sometimes he has to bring circumstances and situations into our life that wake us up to the fact that we need to continue to strive after him and to strive after perfection. When I say perfection, I'm not talking necessarily about the idea that we'll never, ever, ever, ever sin in this flesh. I'm talking about being perfect in maturity, growing in Christ, and coming to a place where we recognize the Word of God for what it is and for who wrote it, and we yield ourselves to the Word of God, and we grow in Christ and become the believer we ought to be and the example we ought to be, to grow continually. And yet we ought to be striving for perfection in and of itself, literally to never sin. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing to strive for that? Because in Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can overcome the flesh. And when we fail not to do right or we fail to, to literally live the Christian life as God intended and to obey the scriptures as commanded, then it is really not God's fault ever. It's always our fault because we've been given every opportunity and every tool needed to overcome sin in our life. But we see here the necessity of growth, the necessity of it. It is an absolute requirement in the Christian life. I read about a, well, actually the truth is if you, you have a child and that child stops growing, then we would say that there is a medical problem. There is something desperately wrong with that child. They would be considered unhealthy if they stopped growing. The child of God has to continue to grow in his knowledge, her knowledge, her experience, the attitude, if we're to remain or maintain health, Christian-wise and spiritually speaking. It's an amazing thing, isn't it, that we have become so um, content with mediocrity or even less, to the point where, really, to be honest with you, a lack of growth is common and it is accepted and it is considered normal today in the Christian life. Then pastors will talk to other preachers, and Christian workers will talk to other Christian workers, and leadership in churches, whether they're teachers or whatever it may be, will talk to one another, and they are not shocked by the fact that Christians do not want to grow. That it's become the norm. When in reality, as God views us, that's not normal at all. That's unhealthy. I read about a little girl whose daddy had gone out of town and they had one of those growth charts on the wall, you know? You know the kind I'm talking about, you know, that chart that marks the kids' heights, they put their back up against it and you draw a little line. I'm sure most of you probably had those in your home at some point. I know we did. We we always took uh, lengths, went to lengths to make sure that we was keeping track of the children's height as they grew and as they got taller. And... um, their particular growth chart was on the backside of a closet door. 
In fact, when they eventually sold the house, they took the door down. And they replaced it with a new one so they could keep that door, that particular door that had been marked up all through the years. And here's how the story went. Once when, um, I'm just going to read it right out of the book that I took it out of. It says, once when Bev, our second daughter, was quite small but quite interested in growth, she promised me she would grow while I was gone on a ministry trip for a couple of weeks. A couple of weeks. When I returned and stepped off the plane, she greeted me with, Daddy, Daddy, come home quick. We got to see how much I growed. So we went home to the closet door and measured. It couldn't have been more than a few millimeters. But she jumped up and down. Daddy, I told you. Daddy, I told you. I did grow. I did grow. Then we went into the living room for a special time of talking, and she asked me one of those questions, you know, the kind that you wish kids wouldn't ask. Daddy, why do big people stop growing? I don't know what I told her, to be honest, but I'm sure it was very superficial. Maybe I said something, well, you need to understand that they stop growing up, but not out, you know. A nice dresser, but their middle drawer sticking out. But long after she was gone, God was working me over with her words. Why do big people stop growing? Why do Christians stop growing? Why do teachers stop growing? Why do I find myself stagnating at times instead of flourishing? Why do college professors stop growing? Why? And he goes on to say, growth is not necessarily tied to experience or time. As a matter of fact, experience doesn't necessarily make you better. It can often make you worse. Unless it's evaluated experience. He goes on to say, just like the good teacher, preacher, or disciple, the greatest threat of growth is satisfaction. The failure to keep asking How can I improve? So basically, I guess the greatest threat to our ministry, the greatest threat to your ministry is the ministry. You know, let's face it, activity alone can be the greatest smokescreen for laziness that there is. You say, what do you mean? Activity can be a smokescreen for laziness? Absolutely. When it comes to spiritual growth, it can. But I mean, we're busy teaching and we're busy on the buses and we're busy in the choir. We're busy in church. We're busy, busy, busy. But we are lazy in our growth for Christ. Activity is a cop-out, really, when we're stagnating in our Christian growth. Our personal walk and our personal life with Christ is, so to speak, dying on the vine. We're dying on the vine. And growth always begins with our personal relationship with Christ. Then it extends from there. There are three questions that probably we all need to ask ourselves from time to time. Actually, consistently. Number one, what are my strengths? Number two, what are my weaknesses? And number three, what do I have to change? 
I mean, what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? And what do I have to change? When we stop asking those questions, more than likely, we are growing stagnant. When we have become satisfied with where we're at and where we fit in and where we are. The process of change is essentially the process of altering your habit patterns. We get in habits, don't we? We get in a pattern of living. We do things the same way. They've said often, it's been repeated over and over again, the definition of insanity is what? Doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting a different result. And you know, many times in our own Christianity, we continue to do the same things and yet never experience the true peace and purpose and joy that we want to. But we don't change anything because sometimes that's uncomfortable. That's inconvenient. And we don't want any more bumps in the road than we already have. And let's face it, we're all so busy anyway. I mean, obviously, I must be a good person and a good Christian because I'm always at the church, always doing something. If you can do something once, you can do it again a second time. And if you can do it a second time or twice, then you can do it three times. You do it three times and you're beginning to make a habit of it. So what habits must we incorporate in order to experience continual growth in our Christian lives? Well, I want to consider some foundations of growth. A couple basic things. Again, these are not, this, they won't be things that you've never heard. I, I, I'm going to tell you that. But, but may I say that at times in our lives, we allow these to slip. And I, I don't care whether it's a, a sports activity or whether it's at work or school or whether it's teaching or learning, whatever it might be, fundamentals are the key to success in any area of life. And too often as believers, we are not, we are not implementing the fundamentals. We are content to, you know, we, we complicate things. We make them so difficult. And instead of just doing the basics, the fundamentals, I was telling the singles class, uh, I think it was this morning, but when I went to basic training in the military, they kept things extremely simple early on. You learn the fundamentals, and basically you learn those fundamentals in the military and in, in basic training, and then when you got to your AIT or your advanced individual training, you began to build on those fundamentals. And when you got to your duty station, they continued to train you and give you more instruction, and you began to build upon those things. But everything was based on a foundation. And may I say in the Christian life, until you have a baseline, till you get to the place where the fundamentals become normal, and you're just responding to the fundamentals and you're living your life and you're always going back to those fundamentals day in and day out, week in and week out, where it becomes second nature to you, then you're going to struggle with consistent Christian life and growth. I don't care if you're a teacher and it doesn't matter if you're a pastor. If you tell me you can't read the Bible consistently, you can't study the Word of God regularly, you can't find yourself on your knees every day, my friend, you are not growing. I've been a Christian 20 years. I don't care. Let me tell you something. I, I, I don't know about you, but 
But I think if I was going to trust my life into a doctor's hands, I'd want to believe that he's been keeping up on the fundamentals. And you know what? You've got family members and you've got friends all around you that need somebody that can get a hold of God. They get somebody that can get in that word and help them and encourage them and inspire them for the Christ and show them a verse or two and help to lift them up and strengthen them and gird them. Man, they need somebody that's in the book already and consistently in prayer and has the fundamentals down. I get it. I know. We've all, we're sick. We're not feeling well get out of our schedules, we miss a day here, we miss this or miss that, I understand. But my friend, that ought to be the exception, not the rule in your life, if growth is something that you want for yourself. Now again, what are some of these fundamentals? And we'll start talking about them, we'll probably get through them, we may or may not, but we'll see. But number one, A consistent time and scheduled time of Bible study. A consistent time and a scheduled time of Bible study. Notice that I didn't just say reading the Bible, although that's good. You've got to read to study, you know. But boy, we need to go further than just reading our Bibles. I I mean, in, in my class, in the singles class, sometimes we're reading a scripture, and I'll stop and say, what's that word mean? And you know what happens a lot of times? Everybody looks at each other. You know how many times the singles have read that verse? Through the time and they're growing up in church? Do you know how many times a teacher's probably read that verse and never once defined it because they didn't even know the answer to the question? Do you know how many times the pastor's read through a verse and come to a place where he thought, man, what's that word? Man, I got to keep reading because I got to get through this. And I never really come to the understanding of what the verse is really teaching because I don't even know what the words mean. And I have to go back if I want to be honest with myself and with the Lord and say, listen, it's not enough to read my Bible. I've got to understand the word. And so we go back and we get back to the fundamentals. If you want to understand a verse, you have to understand the words in the verse. Psalm chapter 119, verse 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Boy, we have a book called the Word of God, and it lights our way. It lights our path. It gives us guidance and leadership and direction in our life. So we need to read and study it. Young people, you say, man, I want to end up where God wants me in my life. I want to look back on my life when it's all said and done and say that I found the will of God and the purpose of God for my life, and I plugged into the plan of God, and now I look back and I have no regrets. I followed the Lord, and I know where He was guiding me, and I followed. You'll never do that without the Word of God. Neglect the Word of God, and one day you'll look back and wonder, I hope I found the will of God. I think I did, didn't I? That's a pretty sad place to be. Wondering whether or not you even found the will of God, the purpose of God, and the plan of God for your life. Well, God wants so much more for you, and he wants so much more for me. But you need the word of God to do so. The word's a lamp into my feet and light in my path. So read and study it. In 2 Timothy 2.15, study to shew thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Memorize the word of God. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 11, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. 
Well, the next time you're struggling with sin in your life, why don't you find verses that deal with that issue? Memorize them. Commit them to memory. Hide the Word of God in your heart. Not just those specific ones, but then begin to hide other verses in your, in your heart. Well, they'll, they'll keep you from sin. Then write out Scripture. Sometimes it's good just to write the Scriptures out. When we do our discipleship and take somebody through, I often have them write out scriptures. Why? Because writing the word of God does something. It just kind of imprints it on our hearts that much more. In 1914, Ernest Shackleton and a team of explorers set out from England to do something that no, no one had ever accomplished. We're going to cross Antarctica from one side to the other across the South Pole. Disaster struck when the team's ship, Endurance, became entrapped in ice and eventually sank after her hull was crushed. They were marooned on a nearby island called Elephant Island. And there it seemed that there was little hope for survival. You can't even imagine what the elements were like there. In a desperate effort to get help, Shackleton and five others set out in a 20 lifeboat across some of the most dangerous and storm-filled waters in the world. It was an 800-mile journey to South Georgia Island where hope could be found. And for 15 days, those men battled the treacherous seas, the massive storms, with the waves, get this, waves up to 100 feet, using only a compass and a sextant. Frank Worsley, who had captained the Endurance, He navigated their course until they safely reached land and found help. Shackleton procured another ship, and then he returned to rescue all of his men. He became a national hero in England for his heroic and persistence. His heroism and persistence. You know what? You and I today, we're making our way through some stormy waters as well, aren't we? I mean, this life's not just... A bed of roses. I mean, there's some real waves and there's some real winds and there's some real struggles that we face each and every day of our life. And may I say, the only way to ensure that we continue to stay on course and not get off course is to follow the compass of this book, the Word of God. I'm going to tell you something. That journey was, uh, it seemed almost impossible. And my, may I say, in your life and in mine, there are times that the journey may seem somewhat impossible. But I'll tell you what, even as this particular man, Shackleton, found his way back to safety through that, utilizing that uh, compass, may I say, we'll use the Word of God and we'll find ourselves safe. And not only that, but we'll notice here that he saved his whole crew. You know what? You might be surprised how many people you can rescue too if you'll simply follow the compass of the Word of God in your life. Boy, a consistent time and scheduled time of Bible study, so necessary and needful if you intend to grow, if I intend to grow. Number two, what's another fundamental? Well, a consistent, and you know what's coming next, a consistent and scheduled time of prayer. Now listen, I know that sometimes, you know, we have our own prayer routines and that's fine and everybody does things maybe a little bit different. That's okay. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. But I'll tell you what, sometimes it's helpful and just as a suggestion, you may at times in your Christian life through certain periods of time in your life, 
you may want to have a list or something. Now, some people say lists have a tendency to make them become rote or, you know, they just find themselves reading through lists and not really praying individually or specifically for people. And that happens. And I say that you can change it up from time to time. But a list can be very helpful. The Bible says, let all things be done decently and in order. And what I found is that sometimes in my life, I find it very difficult to pray for what I need to pray for unless I've wrote it down because I can't even remember my own kid's name sometimes, let alone a prayer request. So again, possibly a list. Also spend some time listening. When you go to God in prayer, you need to spend some time listening. Over in the book of Psalm, chapter 46, verse 10, a very, very powerful verse. Be still and know that I am God. I will exalt among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. Be still and know that I'm God. There are times that in our prayer life, we just need to be still. Man, we are so programmed to go to God and we've got this, uh, this, this, whether it be a list or we've got this routine and we just jump in the presence of God or we just go right to the throne and we say, God, I need this, 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 and this. Be with my husband, be with my wife, be with my kids. Can you help this? Blah, 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 blah. And we never once listen to what he has to say. I mean, let's be honest, we do that. I remember as a kid growing up, and I'm not trying to knock my parents, but I remember we would uh, get down to our beds, and boom, we just hit our knees beside our beds, and we'd say, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. God bless uh, uh, mommy, daddy, Eddie, Mark, Jeff, Troy, grandma, grandpa. How do I remember that? Because we did it all the time. Now listen, I commend my parents for at least wanting me to pray, but as you you begin to grow in your Christian life, you recognize and realize that there needs to be a little more personal than that, and you need to focus a little bit more on individuals there and find out what the need is and pray for it. Again, I'm not knocking it. I mean, it's better than not praying at all. But let's be honest. We know if you look at that prayer too, it's probably not the most scriptural prayer in the world. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Well, if you're saved, you don't have to pray that one anymore. I just want you to know that, okay? And again, I'm not knocking my parents. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying because that was where we were at in our, our lives at that point. Praise God that, that you, many of you have been growing up in church and you understand that this prayer is so important. But you know what? More than talking to God sometimes is just listening. The goal of devotions isn't simply to do them but to get into the presence of God. That's really the goal, to get into his presence. Now, you can read and pray and never really meet with him. That's a reality. Uh, Can anybody in the room without a raise of hands remember praying and never really getting in the presence of God? Oh, hold on. Let me help you. Right here. Well, I tell you, we need to take time to listen to, to not just express ourselves, not just give him our list of to-dos, but to simply say, Lord, I just want to spend time with you. You can meditate on scripture or use scripture in your prayers. That's, that's, that's awesome too. Look in Psalm chapter 51. Here we have a tremendous prayer of David. David has been found out. Nathan the prophet has confronted him and David recognizes his great sin before God. And David prays a prayer that is just, I don't know, it's it's a prayer that I I read this prayer every day for years. Um, I, I read it every day for years. But it says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of 
of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts and in the hidden parts thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. By the way, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit could flee from a person. You know, that doesn't happen now. It's interesting that David would pray that and it not be possible. It was possible. The Holy Spirit came upon people to do the work of God. Boy, once you receive the Holy Spirit today, you are sealed into the day of redemption. So am I, praise God. Some of the people say, I sure wish I lived back then. Not me. Not me. I'm glad I live right where I do, right now in this time. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and Uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth will shew forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. Do good in thy good pleasure and design. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of praying right there. That's some good praying. You find yourself in a, a, a fix. You find yourself in a mess. You, you, you look at your life and you realize there's something you need to address and deal with. An impurity of thought, an impurity of heart, an impurity of, of attitude, maybe even an action or something that you've done wrong. Boy, I tell you to go to those passages and take a portion of that out and pray that prayer. You say, it needs to be my own. Well, you can make it your own. I love Psalm 86. Read it sometime. It's another one of those chapters I read every day for years. Powerful, powerful chapter. You'll find chapters in the Word of God that will speak to you, and you'll, you'll come to a point where maybe you can use those chapters, and you can virtually pray those to the Lord. And again, I understand sometimes it's not always fitting, but boy, when you find yourself in a fix, you can go back to those passages, and you can block out a couple, two or three verses. You can just meditate on those verses and present them to Christ, make them your prayer, and boy, it can truly impact your walk with God. Again, a consistent and scheduled time of prayer. Again, we're trying to meet with God. We're trying to really get in His presence. That's the goal. Have you ever just tried to sit five minutes or kneel five minutes without saying one word to God? you just gone on your knees and you said, Lord, I'm not going to speak for five minutes. I'm just going to listen. I'm telling you, within 20 seconds, you're ready to talk. We're so, so programmed to just simply give our request that we fail to realize God's not so interested in it. He can answer those prayers. Don't misunderstand me. And, and we, we have every right to, you have not because you ask not, preacher. I know, but God would sure like you to spend a little time before you just ask all the time. 
I don't know as a father, uh, I, I, I appreciate my children. And, and one of the things I appreciate is that when they come over to the house, the first thing out of their mouth is, and how much, Dad, I need some money. And when they were teenagers, the first thing out of their mouth was, Dad, I need the keys. Hey, son, you're home tonight. Yeah, uh, can you spot me 20? Now, that wasn't how it was. And furthermore, they knew Dad didn't have 20, so it didn't matter. But the, the fact is, is that, is that I, I like it when they just kind of hang out with me. I like it when they spend a little time. And then if there is a need, a lot of times I may even figure it out on my own. And if not, they can ask. And Dad's usually pretty anxious to want to meet those needs if he can but it sure makes a difference when there's a relationship. And boy, I'll tell you what, that's what we're looking for. And by the way, teenagers, your parents want a relationship with you. Contrary to maybe popular opinion, this thing called a um, generation gap does not have to exist in your home. It, it does not have to be there. You can have a relationship with your parents and you can get along with your parents and they can get along with you and you guys can fellowship and you can enjoy each other's company and you can play games together and you can even watch a show together and comment on things. They may not always see things the way you do and you may not always see things the way they do, but you can have a relationship with them. You listen to them though and you allow them to have a place in your life. Don't ever get so busy with friends and school and everything else that's going on that you neglect your parents. Don't ever do it. That'll be a big regret in your life one day. It'll be a tremendous regret. And parents, you need to work at having a relationship with your kids. You need to take the, the lead on that. Don't expect your kids to initiate. You initiate. You put things in place. And you need to demand that the children be a part of it. Don't allow a kid to go to their room and sulk or go to their room and just sit and go to their room and watch TV or get on their, their computers and do things they probably shouldn't be doing. Keep them with you and do things with them and as a family serve together and work together and live together. This idea that everybody needs their personal privacy. By the way, let me throw a little, a little hint to you and let me tell you a little bit about biblical positions. There are no secret places and truthfully, your parents have every right to check every sock drawer you have, teenager. And none of this junk, well, that's private space. And you don't have to agree with me, but let me tell you something. We live in a culture today where people are hiding a lot of things. And let me tell you, a teenager doesn't need a place to hide anything. If you can't be transparent and open, I'm not talking about walking in when you're taking a shower. You know, you get old enough, mama don't need to be going, hey, son, what's up? <laughs> and you're like, whoa, whoa. I'm not talking about that kind of privacy. I'm talking about, you know, well, what are you doing in my room? Your room? You kidding me? Your room? I don't know. I can just see my dad. I guarantee you, if I'd have pulled that stunt, my dad would have said, guess what? No door on any room. Boom! <laughs> Whoa! Pardon me, man. <laughs> you know? <laughs> okay, fine. I have, that has nothing to do with the message at all, but this is, we're ending up there somehow. Nonetheless, we said read. Now, again, we're talking about this element of growing, and we said, first of all, a consistent time, a scheduled time of Bible study, a consistent and scheduled time of prayer. Boy, that's so important, isn't it? And then when we come back together, I'm going to end right there. We have a baptism tonight, and I want to get to that. I'm kind of anxious for that. Let me tell you, when we get back together, we're going to talk about a few other things that we need. Foundational elements that help us to grow. Now, I, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, 
This is a bigger problem than all of us would like to admit. It's, it's a big problem. Let, let me ask you, if today, you know how years ago we were so worried that the communists were going to come in back when I was growing up. Man, the communists are going to come in and take over our country and blah, blah, blah. And again, I, listen, I, they could. I guess they still could, supposedly. But I'm just saying this. Let's just say that there was a force that came in and literally occupied the United States and removed every single Bible from our homes and our possession. How much will you be able to, rec- to quote how much would you be able to recite? How much Bible would you be able to share with others if that happened today? I mean, how, how spiritually mature are would you find it? Would you find yourself in a position where you would be able to continue through and encourage others in the midst of that horror, horror that was taking place and still have some scripture to share and be able to put verses together, Bible together, and be able to help people down the road? Well, I'll tell you what, that's important, isn't it? See, we don't think that way today. You don't know why? Because we don't think it'll ever happen. But boy, we've got to be prepared for anything. Let's hide the word in our heart. Let's really take time to get to know the book and to be in prayer and to have a relationship with the Lord. So if those times do come in our life, whether they're an occupation of, of an enemy from outside to the United States or whether it's just the enemy, Satan, attacking us and trying to occupy our mind and our hearts, be in a position to be able to fight the battle and draw upon the Word of God. The Word of God that we've committed to memory and the Word of God that we've, we've consistently studied and the, and, and the prayer and the presence of Christ that we'll need to bring us peace in the midst of that battle. Father, we need you. We love you. And we just ask, Lord, you'd continue to help us to have a, a desire and a love to grow.